everyone. This is Serena Dimitrova, the host of the new Game of Leadership Online Summit. I'm glad to have uh, a very prominent guest today, Jill Whitty Collins. Uh, she's an author of the book, Why Men Win at Work. Jill spent uh, more than 26 years of her career at Procter & Gamble, lastly as a senior vice president, while she climbed the corporate ladder um, surely and steadily. Uh, and she has experienced, um, um, how should I call them, uh, women um, issues at work, mostly at her uh, senior vice, vice president role, but she'll tell you more about it. But let me first say welcome. Hi, Jill. I'm very glad to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. It's fantastic to be here. So, Jill, you wrote the book, Why Men Win at Work. Let's make it a quote. Let me uh, quote the exact name. Uh, I'm going to just hold it up. Yes, and there was a subtitle let's make inequality past or what was it how, and how we can make gender inequality history because that's exactly. important right that's what's important is to actually work on this rather than just talking about the problem yeah so cool so how did you how did you turn a writer an author oh so i mean i absolutely would not have even thought of it even 10 years ago um I, I certainly, I mean, everyone thinks they've got a book in them, don't they? Everyone says that. But in my mind, a book is, was a, a piece of fiction and I, I never thought I, I had the creativity for it. But um, I certainly wouldn't have written um, a book about gender inequality. <clears throat> Even 10 years ago, I was, um, I always laugh and say I was one of those women who, hadn't really hadn't personally really got in my way um even though I was very aware of it as an issue um and I I absolutely saw you know other women having some struggles but for me you know I I I I'd gone from um a mixed comprehensive school to university to the Procter and Gamble recruitment scheme and I and you know I'd gone quite smoothly through the levels, um, branch assistant, brand manager, director, senior vice president, ultimately. So for me, there was that little bit of a sense of, I don't know why, but somehow I seemed to be okay. Um, and then I saw it. Um, I started to see it at the senior vice president level. And I realized that I'd just been lucky. I'd just been lucky so far. That was all it was. And um, because for the first time in my career in my life I reached a um I reached a point where I was in a male dominant culture and a male dominant environment and I just hadn't been before as I said I've been at a mixed school I've been at a mixed university and and up to that level it had been very balanced and I realized at that point um so this is you know I don't know maybe seven eight years ago um what it is to be in a male dominant culture and that it's very, very different. And I, I thought to myself, what is this? I mean, I, I was fascinated actually by what is this? I could feel it was impacting me. It was impacting my performance. It was more importantly, because it isn't about me. That's not what's, what's key here. I could see it impacting the other women around me. Um, so I became fascinated, started to read books, articles, everything I could devour. 
and and then I started to understand the extent of it that it was affecting women everywhere every company it was not about me it was not about the women I knew it wasn't about my company P&G it was everywhere um every country every company every organization and and I just became more and more um bowled over by the data really and I still am that you know wherever you look in business and society sport politics wherever if you look at the top levels you see fewer than 10 percent are women mm -hmm. and seven percent of ceos nine percent of heads of state and i thought wow this is incredible actually if you think that women are 50 percent of the population and equal intelligence and competence and capability so i became quite fascinated um so my my approach to it was to think you know what I'm going to talk about this. And I made myself a promise that when I left that job, I would, the first thing I would do would be to write a book about it and just get it all out and get it all down. Because I felt, I felt that I had an understanding of it that, that not everyone has because I had actually been at that, you know, senior vice president level, sort of one down from the CEO. Um, and not many people talk about that. You get a lot of people talking about, the issue from an academic point of view um, or from an HR point of view, or you get women talking about, you know, their success and what's driven their success. But I thought I had some things that I could share that would help people understand really why it happens rather than just that it happens. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I remember I was uh, reading the one of the first books that came out on the topic from Cheryl, Cheryl Zandberg about uh, 10 years ago. Um, and there was a, um, what you, like a conference organized for a, from, from the GSMA. Uh, the, um, I was working for a telecommunications company. So the global uh, mobile GSMA association, they organized, um, what is it? It, it's, it was like a conference. It, uh, it was more of a discussion with a few uh, senior leaders like yourself when you were uh, employed about the topic of uh, gender inequality. And I remember very well that they specifically said and noted uh, data that uh, inequality starts from a certain level upwards. So you were right not to notice it before that. So what, yeah. happened, when, yeah, so, so what happened when you first noticed it? What did you do when you were already at the, sitting on the board with the other men, not with the other, with the men. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, firstly, it, it, it is so true that in, in many companies, it, it does really start at that senior level or certainly it gets, you know, gradually worse at each level because it's not true of all companies. Some are still bad even at the entry level. But many, many companies do actually recruit at 50-50. Mm. So they are actually bringing in 50% women. But then slowly at each level, those women disappear. Those brilliant, talented women just disappear. So, so yes, it, it, it is true that, you know, some women encounter it earlier and and it, and, it, and it will depend on your your discipline and your company so I was I was lucky in the sense that I was 
I came in through the marketing function, which is, is much more gender balanced. Um, so it took me longer to see it. You know, some people who come in, some women who come in through a, you know, more engineering career, product supply career, maybe even a sales career will see it much, much sooner. So, you know, I recognize everyone's experience is different. Mine was a little bit late, but you're right that it, it gets worse at each level. And, you know, to your question, how did I respond? What's interesting is that at first it didn't bother me because I had no reason to be bothered by it. I, I noticed, of course, I noticed there are not many women around here, are there? Not many women in this team. But I had no reason to be concerned because for me that that was just, well, we're all equal. Um, we're all equally talented and equally intelligent. So fine. Um, and I hadn't, I hadn't been in a male dominant culture before, so I didn't know how it was going to impact me. So at first, yeah, I was just, okay, a lot of men, no problem. I'll just keep being me. And I just didn't even think about it. But then what I came to realize quite quickly was that just being me and doing and saying what I'd always done and said and being as I'd always been that had served me very well to that point and had got me to a you know a senior level that that just wasn't having the same um, impact anymore so yeah my response really as I said was to become fascinated by it um I I just genuinely I could feel it I didn't understand it and I wanted to understand it because I knew I knew it wasn't I knew it wasn't, it couldn't be me because logically, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd managed to do so many things before and I knew it couldn't be these women that were around me because I knew these women outside of this environment. I knew them, I worked with them outside those board meetings in a much more gender balanced environment. And I knew how amazing these women were. I knew how intelligent they were. I knew what great leaders they were. And I, and I saw them shrinking before my eyes. So actually my response was fascination and to understand because I thought once I understand, then I can do something about it. And I can't really do anything until I understand what the hell is happening here. So what are some of the insights? <laughs> I mean, yes, it's a whole book. Why do men win at work? But what are some of the insights that you reached I in mean, search of this understanding? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, yeah, it is, it, it's a 200-page book. And there's a lot, there's a lot um, of insights in there that answer that question. But... But actually, yeah, there is a simple there is a simple answer to why is it? Why does it happen? Why do men at work? And then why do men win at work? The the simple answer is this actually, which is the people who make the decisions, whether they're men or women, about who to give that senior job to, or who to give that promotion to a senior level to, who to give that leadership position to, who to give that who to vote for, when they make that decision, they don't make the choice because it's a man. They make the choice because they believe that the man is better. They believe, they genuinely believe that they've evaluated the options and that the man is the best choice. 
he's better, he's stronger, he's a stronger performer, he will perform better in that role. And so they make that decision and they will say, I, I, I looked at all the options, but the man was the best choice. And I, not because he's a man, but he's just the best choice. So that's actually, that leads to the really interesting question, actually, which is why in, let's argue, 90% plus of cases, do we, do they draw that conclusion that the man is better when it, it cannot actually be true in 90% of cases? It, 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 let, let's keep it simple. Um, if women are 50% of the population and equal intelligence, competence, leadership ability, let's keep it simple. In 50% of the cases, the man's the best choice. And in 50% of cases, there's a woman who's the best choice. So why do we think it's the man in 90%? That, that is the question. And as said, it's not, it isn't driven by a conscious, well, I'm just looking for a man and I don't like women. It's, it's really not that. Most men are good and decent and well-intended and they don't wake up in the morning thinking, how can I build a patriarchy today and destroy women and promote as many men as possible? Why do they think the man is better? And so that's, for me, that was the really interesting question. Once I understood the extent of the issue, why, why are we concluding that? And as I said, it's not just men who are concluding that. And so then you peel the onion down and you start to see that there are so many invisible, subconscious, unintended things that are going on beneath the surface um, that are causing us to draw a false conclusion in let's argue 50% of cases and obviously we can we can talk about uh, we can talk about those some more but you know what I call the invisible power of culture and how that's impacting how um, men and women perform in a culture and are perceived and how their their, their value is perceived the competence versus confidence equation and how important that is because confidence is so critical to how we value people and, and how we make decisions about them. Um, what I call the umbrella theory and how that impacts, again, how a person's performance is evaluated versus the reality of their performance, the time issue and how that impacts women's ability to actually do their job and, and, and make make their work visible when they're also trying to manage a ton of other things and also the relative lack of sisterhood at the senior levels which doesn't help so there are all sorts of things going on that combine and they combine in a way that we sit there and and we say i i don't want to conclude this but yet again i'm going to choose the man when actually there was a competent woman we could have absolutely could have and should have chosen potentially above that man but we just didn't see it mm -hmm. so when you refer to culture do you mean corporate culture or um, national culture i mean for me it's the we can find the culture the cult culture is is obviously everywhere but this you know, when I talk when I talk about the invisible power of culture, it's it's a very broad it's it's a broad thing. But what I specifically mean in this context is 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 when 
when we have a male dominant culture, so in the gender equality sense, when there is a male dominant culture, whether it's in a business or an organization that could be a political organization, it could be a governmental organization, it could be, it could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. But in any, any organization, if there's a male dominant culture, it, it will be much, much easier in general for a man to feel comfortable, relaxed, belonging in that culture and therefore to be able to perform mm-hmm. um, and to be able to perform at his best and also to not to have to fit in and therefore to be able to be authentic so he will be perceived um, more positively in that culture whereas a woman in a male dominant culture will find it pretty much impossible she won't feel as comfortable she won't feel as relaxed she will have to be very very strong to resist the temptation to fit in she will um, and if she does try to fit in that means she won't be leveraging her own strengths she won't be bringing her authentic self she will inevitably be perceived less strongly than the men because she's bringing she's bringing a small percentage of herself mm. uh, whereas he's able to bring his whole self so um that's what, what what I mean by culture in this context is how powerful that can be and how powerful it can be positively when you feel comfortable and like you fit in and how damaging it can be to how you're perceived if you don't. And the thing about culture is it is invisible and it's especially invisible if you're part of it. So, you know, we always, we always talk about the goldfish in the bowl. If you ask the goldfish in the water, in the bowl, in the water, how's the water? The goldfish will say, what water? Because doesn't even notice it. But if you ask the non-goldfish, how's the water? The goldfish will tell you very quickly, this water is too hot or it's too cold and I can't bear this. And that's the experience that, and I'm talking about women in a male dominant culture, but we can talk about this equally. Anybody who looks around and find themselves, finds themselves in a culture that's dominated by a type or a look or person that they don't feel they are is going to find that extremely uncomfortable um, and is just not going to be able to bring their best there. Mm. Yeah, well, if, if I may uh, also insert my observation about, um, about gender inequality, it is that uh, firstly, it's mostly observed in these very large companies there that are the large BMOs, like the telecommunication uh, company that I was working for and the FMCG company that you were working for. So this is especially observed in these companies that have a long history and that were built with the culture of male dominance. But there's, I think, this other thing, which is uh, human psychology. And uh, I remember a study that I read somewhere that said that um, people are more inclined to listen to and enjoy listening to male voices more. So Mm -hmm. this is deeply, you know, and uh, unless you understand that consciously, you can't turn it it around and judge uh, properly because it's almost like a man's voice can do magic on you, in your, on your psychology, even even if you, um, if you're willing to, to hire a woman, uh, but still as a, as, as attraction to your brain, and and you're right there, um, 
you're more likely to trust a man than a woman. This was also one of the findings of this study that I read. It's, it, you're so right. And I think, you know, there are two things in there. There is, there is one, which is the trust and the tr that trust is coming from the confidence that you feel, right? Mm -hmm. So it's human. It's the most natural thing in the world for us to like confidence. We love confident people. We all love confident people. Let's not fight it. If somebody is confident in themselves and they're projecting that confidence, we love it. And we feel safe with them. We trust them. It makes us feel confident to give them work, to give them projects, to give them promotions. Confidence is, is very, very powerful. The problem with confidence is that for many, many reasons that begin in childhood, generally women are less confident than men. And you know, we can we can talk about why, but generally they are. And so, and it's got nothing to do with how competent they are. So a man generally will be more confident than an equally competent woman. And so this can be very difficult because we are very attracted to the confidence and we don't necessarily see behind what I call the confident curtain and see that, well, actually behind that confidence, there's somebody who's not necessarily as competent as that person over there who, who doesn't have and is not projecting the same confidence. So, so that is, is, is an extremely fascinating area and, a, a, and what, one that as people who are passionate about driving gender equality, we need to be really, really aware of. We need to catch ourselves and say, am I being... Am I being swayed here by the confidence and am I really looking for the competence behind it and behind that, that confident curtain? But I think your point about voice, I mean, it's such a massive one and it's such a fascinating one. And, and you know, it is true, right? We, um, it is absolutely proven, as you say, that we, we love, people really are drawn to that deep, charismatic tone of voice. Mm -hmm. And by the way, what drives that deep, charismatic tone of voice is testosterone. Right. And guess who generally, which gender generally has more testosterone? So there is just a natural a kind of just edge that, that, that many men, and not all obviously, but many men have here with that deep voice. And it's, you know, it, there, are, there are so many examples of women who've been coached to adopt a deeper voice. And Margaret Thatcher is the classic example. I mean, she was coached in the early stages of her career to lower the tone of her voice because the men would take her more seriously. And it absolutely worked for her. They absolutely did. And there was brilliant research. I think it was Laura Bates for her Everyday Sexism book I believe um where um research was done on watching men's reactions to to female leaders or, or women speaking and apparently in this research it was just unbelievable that you know the men could be totally distracted multitasking from whatever but as soon as Margaret Thatcher's voice came on they were they were listening and they were mesmerized because they were just, there was something about that deep, deep charismatic voice that, that made her more, just have just something more worth listening to. And so it's absolutely fascinating, but isn't it a problem? Because, you know, women should not, women should not have to 
women should be able to bring themselves as they are without messing with their voice, without pretending to be someone that they're not, without adopting an accent that isn't theirs or a tone of voice that isn't theirs. We have to get to the point where we recognize leadership, whatever it looks like, whatever gender it is, whatever it's wearing, whatever voice it has, whatever accent it has, whatever color it has, we have got to get to the point where we don't just, you know, just associate that a person who looks like this and talks like this is a leader and a person who doesn't isn't. To me, that's where we have to get to because otherwise we'll go on forever telling women, you know, you've got to change to be successful. And ultimately Mm. that doesn't work because that's not authentic and that will not be that woman bringing 100% of herself she'll always be a slightly diluted version of herself but Mm. the voice thing I think is fascinating yeah if I could also add to to the voice thing it was that women with a high-pitched voice were were considered very insecure so they were Mm -hmm. never really hired for high positions with the you know the the high-pitched voice yeah there was uh, uh, something else from the book that I remember because it was it was the first book at the time on women inequality that I read I really can't remember what it was called anyhow from um, Cheryl Zandberg Lean In exactly Um, and she was talking about um, uh, confidence when 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 projected by women was considered as bitchy and as arrogant and as uh, too assertive so it wasn't perceived the same way as when it was portrayed by men. And I remember from my experience, I have been called aggressive even just by stating my opinion, mm-hmm. which for me was, you know, I'm, <laughs> I, I would consider myself on the other end of the spectrum. I'm absolutely not aggressive, but apparently when a woman states their opinion in a determined way, men perceive it and people in general perceive it as an aggressive and as bitchy. So, do you have a, an opinion on how we can remove this confidence curtain and what could be done to bring more self-awareness about these topics? I think, to- again, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's a great question. Obviously, that was a really important book, right, because it, it was one of the first books that, that really put this whole, this whole thing on the table. And um, I think this... Um, this area of company, it's just, it is just true. We know that it's true that that women can say or write exactly the same thing as a man in exactly the same way that a man does. And it will be completely accepted in the manner and it will be per- perceived as too aggressive, too bitchy, too um, assertive, too, too much, too bossy, too whatever in a woman. And we know that from CVs. I mean, there's that brilliant piece of research where they basically looked at exactly exactly the same CV verbatim sent in one, you know, in the in 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 the control with a man's name and in the research with a woman's name and the and the negative perception of that CV. Absolutely, you know, great CV when it had a man's name. Oh, she seems she seems very arrogant and overconfident and over pushy with the woman's name. And that, by the way, was women responding as well, not just men. So it all comes back again. It comes back to what images, what role models, what what 
what have what have we seen how have we seen women portrayed in our lives whether it's in tv or film or in the news or in politics how have we seen women from an early age versus how have we seen men and what do we therefore expect a man to be like and how do we expect a man to speak which becomes which is as children has become normal for us for a man. And what do we expect from a woman? Where do we expect to see a woman? How do we expect a woman to speak? How do we expect a woman to deal with a difficult situation? It's so very, very young age, we get programmed with this. So when we see a woman who doesn't quite do it that way, even though there's nothing wrong at all with what she's doing or what she's saying, we it's, it just jars because it's not what we're used to and it's not what we were programmed with. So, you know, I would say, I would say two things. I would say the first thing is we just got to get used to it. <laughs> we have just got, we've got to get more women into these positions and we've got to see them. We've got to see them on our TV screens. We've got to see them in our social media feed. We've got to see them in the news and we've just got to see them doing this. And we just got to get used to it. We just got to get used to women talking and being like this like men and we've got to get to the point hopefully where the next generation doesn't think anything of it because it's just as likely to see a woman speaking like that as a, as, as a man. We just repro we program the next generation dif differently. Um, and I think the second, sorry, the second big thing that I think we've got to do, you know, to really come back to that, to the heart of your question is in the meantime, as women, we've got to stop caring. We have got to stop caring so much about this likability thing because so much of this comes from, you know, I get this question so often from women. How do I assert myself without being disliked? How do I make my point without being disliked? How do I, how do I register this without being seen as aggressive? And my message is you, you, you've got to not care about being liked and there is again for lots and lots of reasons a, a general much more a much more general sense in women it goes back to the beginning of time that it's important to be liked. that it's actually not safe it's actually not safe to not be liked and it's certainly not safe not to be liked by other women or by men we have got to say to women you cannot please everybody all the time you cannot be liked by everybody sometimes if you stand up for things that are important and you stand up for your opinion and you register your opinion some people aren't going to like it and some people aren't going to like you and you have to not care you have to prioritize saying and doing what you need to say and do above being loved and liked by everybody in the meantime unfortunately i think women have, have got to get that um it's good because if we wait until, you know, everyone's used to women being more assertive, we're just going to be in this self-fulfilling prophecy forever. Mm -hmm. I see. Well, I'm just, it just got me think about uh, the risks that you're, that one is also taking while not caring so much because there's one thing to express your opinion. There's another thing to act upon it. And I've, also, I'm also speaking from a personal experience, and I know that I've had um, a backlash uh, on, on my actions that were considered too bold. So that's the other thing that at some point you have to be ready to take risks as well, because there's yeah. a risk involved in this. It's not just uh, asserting yourself verbally, but also 
taking actions that correspond to that. Um, so is there any specific advice other than that that you can give women who would like to grow in their um, career to, from a managerial position, let's say, to a, a CXO position? I mean, so much, so much advice. I've got so much. Advice. And, you, you know, you'll know from the book, it was really important to me that um, firstly that the book gets into the why, not just it goes beyond the data and it gets into why does this happen so that we can we can address it. But also, yes, that it, it's a constructive and positive book. It's, it's about it has a, the last chapter is a massive to do list for everybody managers, parents, teachers, media makers, women and men about what, what they can do. So, so much advice and it all stems from understanding why. But, but yeah, for women, I, I, a few key things I, I would say um, as top priority. I think the first is just be aware, be aware from as early as possible as you can in your life and in your career. Be aware of, of this issue. Don't be one of those women who thinks, well, it's not affecting me. I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm progressing. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be bothered by this. Just really, you know, seek out understanding of this, because I can promise you that if it, even if it hasn't hit you yet, if you continue to progress in your career, you will reach a point where you do hit that male dominant culture and it will affect you. I was talking with somebody the other day, he used to run one of the biggest magazine companies in the world. And he was telling me, you know, this, that how fascinating it was that um, the magazine industry is absolutely female dominated. I mean, at the lower middle management, lower middle levels, you know, you can barely find a man, but you go into that, go into that boardroom and you'd be lucky if you find one woman. So well, whatever you're doing, this is going to hit you with something. So be aware, read up, understand it, understand why it happens, understand what causes it, because then you'll be ready, you'll be prepared, and you'll manage it better if you're prepared than if you're blindsided by it. Honestly, I was a little bit blindsided by it. So I'm, I'm kind of, it's like, you know, I'm giving you advice that I wish I'd, I'd been able to give myself. Um I think the second big thing I would say is, is around confidence. Accept, and, and, and I'm going to give you just a big caveat actually before I go on, which is I'm really, I'm really not one of those women who dumps this issue on women. This is a um, gender inequality is an issue for everyone. It's an opportunity for everyone. And men have a huge, huge role to play in its solution. And they have 90% of the, Leaders, leadership positions in the world so they have to help us otherwise if they don't embrace this issue and commit to change we're not going to get anywhere women can talk about this as much as they want so big caveat aside there are some things that as women we can do and the second thing I would say is, is in this area of confidence just accept confidence accept the power and the attraction of confidence accept that we love confident people we love confidence in people. It makes us trust them. It makes us give them jobs. And therefore, if you want to be successful, you have to find your confidence. And I don't mean fake your confidence. I don't mean perform your confidence. I mean, truly find your confidence. And I believe that every person on this planet has what I call a confident core. I believe that deep inside you, when you look inside yourself, you have things that you know that you're really good at. 
you know you're naturally good at them you know that you know in a room full of people you could be world champion at, at this thing at these things and I'm a anyone who knows me knows that I'm a huge huge fan of the strengths the Gallup strengths finder philosophy which is really about you know we all there are 34 strengths you can have we all have a top 10 um those top 10 if we focus on them can become real superpowers that we can bring you know to the world to business to society and that we don't worry about about the stuff at the bottom and I really love to use strengths finder with people in general but you know especially with women because it can really help help us find our confident core and say do you know what this is true I am at these 10 things I'm, I'm really good at these 10 things and by the way they combine in a a unique way that's absolutely unique to me and I think that that then when you find that and you really go yeah do you know what no matter what anyone ever says to me and no matter how intimidating a situation is if somebody challenges me and, and questions in these areas my confident core is going to kick in it confident core is like what well, it's like an apple right apples can be soft and bruised around the outside but they've got a really strong core that's what the confident core is it's like yeah you know you can you can maybe you know you can critique me on on that stuff but you know in my instance if, if anybody were to for example strategic is my number one strengths and strength and strength finder if somebody were to say to me well Jill I'm not sure you're strategic I mean I just I, I would just fight them to the end on that they can't take that from me so I guess what I'm saying is every woman, whether you use strengths find or whatever you use, find those strengths, own them and say, yeah, I am bloody good at those. And that's your confident core. And, and then when you go into meetings or situations or the workplace, speak from that confident core, work from that confident core, and you will, without thinking about it, you will project confidence because it's genuine, because it really comes from real, real confidence. And that will be very, very attractive because as we've said, that's what people want to see. They want to know that you're confident in yourself before they are confident in you. So that's another massive one. I also say, you know, resist, absolutely resist the temptation to fit into a culture. If you do find yourself in a culture, for example, if you're a woman and you find yourself in a male dominant culture and you just feel like, I don't belong here. I, uh, I just, I, I don't feel like my strengths are valued and leveraged. I don't really feel like they, 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 yeah, they value me basically. Resist the temptation to fit in and copy because you'll never win that way. You'll never be good as good at copying somebody else's strengths as you will be at using your own. You will not change a dominant culture unless you're part of that culture. So there comes a point where you have to say, if I am, if 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 my strengths that I know are real and I know I bring are not valued here and leveraged here, I will walk away um, rather than fitting in. And I guess the last thing I'd say is, is it links to the umbrella theory, which is, you know, that our, as far as our bosses are concerned, we're all working under umbrellas. They can just see the top of the umbrella. They don't see the work we're doing. And when women say, I do a fantastic job and it should speak for itself, it's not realistic. Be savvy. If your boss needs to see your work, they need to see you. They need to know you. Um, 
and men are in general more savvy about this. They're more savvy about the fact that the myth of meritocracy doesn't exist and you need to invest in networking and self-marketing to make what you're doing visible. And so be savvy about the umbrella theory and invest that time. Do not just fill your day, your working day with just doing the work and hoping that it gets noticed and you get noticed. You need to carve out that time to network and self-market. These are not dirty words, they're human realities. Your boss will ultimately not notice your work unless you put it out there. And you will be frustrated because you will see people who potentially are not doing as great work as you and it's not the same quality and there's not the same amount of it but they've been more visible and you'll see them getting jobs and promotions that you deserve so the general theme is be aware be savvy um, and prioritize your time to make sure that you're really focused on these things because otherwise you're going to be frustrated mm -hmm. And that being said, the importance of networking, do you think it's uh, doable to peers in the old boys cliques that are actually at the top of organizations? Is that a doable thing to do? <laughs> you know, I, of course, they used to exist and I'm sure they do still exist in some organizations. But I think, I do think less and less. I think what's actually more more difficult and even more difficult to manage now, potentially, you know, it's even worse because at least the cliques were visible, is the invisible stuff. So it's when, you know, men, men know that they, you know, they, they mustn't have the old boys clique and they, they're, you know, good, decent men with good intentions who understand that gender equality is important, know that oh yes, we really mustn't go to the, you know, the bar after work or the football game and do all the things that the women can't participate in. But with their very, very good and decent intentions, they're still inadvertently creating a male dominant culture that the women can't really belong in and, and perform in. So it's actually the non-intended stuff that's in many ways more difficult to manage. I think it's um, it, it's it's easier to point out to to men, you know, hey, you know, and you can make a joke of it, but hey, we all can't come to the pub of the after work for these reasons. So you know, let's do the meeting here, or let's do the social here, or whatever getting your hands around the male dominant culture that's everywhere like the water in the goldfish bowl is is more is more difficult it is possible but it's it's more difficult yes i i think the male cliques exist but i, I do think thankfully thankfully they're diminishing and i think now you know we're in a world where in many instances now it's easier to call that stuff you know avert bottom of the pyramid i call it sexism i think we're in a world now where in most instances we could call that out and actually you know people are savvy enough to know oh yeah i really mustn't do that or i really mustn't say that um actually um what is um interesting but more um more difficult to get your hands around 
is that um, you know almost the polite it's almost the politeness it's when on the surface an organization is very polite about this because it knows it needs to be and you know the men are savvy enough to know that they can't they can't say these things um, out loud but that actually some of these things may be happening beneath the surface or behind doors and uh, that's what that's where we need to really rely on the men because there is stuff out there there is stuff out there that women are not even seeing and not even hearing awesome great insights thank you so much jill it was an amazing talk so why men win at work where can people find your book so it's 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 available everywhere in the uk i will um just put the link in the chat this is the best link actually because at the moment because it's the um it's their book of the month um so it's on a fantastic price and it, they'll deliver anywhere as well so but anywhere in the, you buy amazon uk um the bookshop book depository waterstones w every, every, anywhere anywhere um you can get it and yes i would say to everyone thank you so much for having me but please do get in touch. I'm on LinkedIn. I post a lot there. I have lots to say about everything to do with this topic, as you can imagine. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. And I love to hear from people. So please do get in touch. And I, I love I love it when you all share things that I may not have seen and your opinions. And, um, and yeah, I really believe that together when we raise this stuff and we call out things, we can make change and we can make progress. And we absolutely must. We cannot, we cannot pass this on to the next generation. How can we, we cannot raise our daughters, nieces, granddaughters, who we know are amazing and they're intelligent and they're capable. We can't send them into this workplace where if we don't do anything, they will end up, uh, most of them will end up disappearing um, out of the career pyramid despite being absolutely brilliant so i feel if we pull together men and women we can we can change it mm -hmm. great so i'll put all your links below to your to all your social media so anybody who's interested in at least the 10 core what was it the 10 core skills that you have jill can help you with that you're an, an executive mentor yes coach. So i am a, mm -hmm. i am a strength finders coach because i love it i think it's absolutely brilliant so if anybody is interested in finding their confident core via strength finder then yeah do get in touch we can do that it's it's incredibly powerful it's one of the most powerful things i've done so many of these personality profiling things i think this is the best by a long long way it's life-changing i'm everyone who knows me has, has has been forced to do it and they've loved it so uh it's fantastic Awesome. Thank you so much, Jill. Very insightful. I Thank encourage you everybody to, to get your book. Thank you. And thanks for the great questions.